This is African News Tonight on The Voice of America. Hello, welcome to VOA Africa. Thank you for joining us. I'm Carol Van Dam, and here's what's coming up. I would want to dispel any illusion about heightened sense of insecurity. It is false, it is irresponsible. That's Nigeria National Security Advisor Babagana Manguno on recent terror warnings by foreign missions for the capital, Abuja. Also, the U.S. Treasury imposes sanctions on arms suppliers for Islamic State Somalia and the Al-Shabaab rebels. Greece has launched a search and rescue mission for dozens of migrants whose boat sank overnight. And Cameroon says several hundred of its people have been deported by Equatorial Guinea. All this and more coming up on African News Tonight. Nigerian authorities yesterday dismissed recent terror warnings by foreign missions for the capital, Abuja, as false and irresponsible. Heads of Nigerian security agencies made the comments to journalists after an emergency security meeting with President Mohamedou Buhari. But security experts are urging Nigerians to take the warning seriously, as Timothy Obiezu reports from Abuja. Top government officials, including the National Security Advisor, Defense Chief, head of national intelligence and foreign affairs minister held a joint session with journalists soon after meeting with President Mohamed Buhari. The meeting comes in the wake of warnings issued by various foreign missions in the West African nation of elevated risk of terror attacks, crimes, kidnapping and communal clashes, especially for the capital, Abuja. The National Security Advisor, Babagana Mungunu, addressed journalists. We're trying as much as possible within the domestic situation to work with our foreign partners without giving the impression that Nigeria is skating on thin ice and we're about to implode. I would want to dispel any illusion about heightened sense of insecurity. It is false. It is irresponsible. The officials reiterated that there's no cause for alarm and urged citizens to go about their normal activities without fear. The security alert last week was first issued by the U.S. Embassy in Abuja, warning Americans that government buildings, places of worship, schools, markets, and malls in Nigeria could be attacked. Soon after, the U.K., Ireland, Canada, Germany, Denmark, Bulgaria, Finland, and Australia issued similar warnings and began evacuating their citizens from the capital. Security analyst Chidio Major says he is disappointed at authorities' stance and that citizens must treat the warnings seriously. I'm actually confounded that uh, the National Security Advisor will be the one to make such a dismissal of such serious matter. A country like the U.S. has a robust you know, uh, intelligence asset. America ought to be a partner. We must take it serious. Nigeria's armed forces, though, have heightened alertness around the country. Police said they have beefed up security and ordered the activation of emergency numbers to help officials promptly respond to any incident. The growing calls for caution have spread fear among many Abuja residents, leading to the shutdown of businesses. Borno State-based peace and security expert Abba Ali Mustafa says the United States and other nations should have talked with authorities before issuing the warnings. Nigeria does have a security architecture and a security system and a functioning uh, government. So uh, what the foreign mission should have done is to reach out to Nigeria and security um, units 
liaise with them, collaborate with them, and pass out this information through the national medium. I think the position of the government on this matter is on the breaching of the national integrity of the country and nothing much. It might paint a picture of hopelessness. President Buhari last week called for calm. Nigerian forces have been battling Boko Haram and Islamic State militants in the northeast for more than a decade. In recent years, terror groups have expanded their activities to other regions. In July, Islamic State West Africa province, Oraiswap, claimed responsibility for a jailbreak in the capital that freed hundreds of inmates, dozens of whom remain at large. Timothy Obiezu for VOA News, Abuja, Nigeria. The first ever formal peace talks between Ethiopia and its Tigray region are continuing in Pretoria, South Africa, two days after they were originally scheduled to end. And with a tight media blackout there, there's no word on how long they may go on. For more on the talks, earlier this evening, I spoke with Abraham Zarey. He's the team lead for VOA's Horn of Africa service. First of all, what are you hearing? Anything new about the progress in the talks? The only progress we hear about the peace talks is that it's just been extended from Sunday, initially till Monday, then to Tuesday, and we never know about the end of the day, so it's still going on. Hmm. And the country's Prime Minister, Abi Ahmed, complained to China Global Television Network recently about, quote, lots of intervention from left and right in the process. What do you think he meant by that? It's quite interesting. This is the first time that the Prime Minister was talking about the peace deal. And instead of the local media or others, he spoke to Chinese media outlet. And he also spoke it casually when he was doing other activities. He didn't put a formal interview in his office or somewhere. So I think it's kind of implied message by saying sometime, one level he might be saying, okay, we might give towards China if the West is putting more pressure on us. Or another level, he might be, because he also said, we are, we are still promising, it's, it still sounds promising thing. So it's a bit confusing, but it also shows something between the lines. And he also said that Ethiopian forces were in control of the Tigray towns of Shirei, Aksum, and Adwa. Have we been able to confirm that as the news media? I think this has been confirmed from other sources, from, from Tigray side as well. The commander of the Tigray forces, General Tadesawar, has said last this week, that those sounds were under control of the federal government airline forces. Do you do we read anything into that? You know, with the reports of the Ethiopian government forces taking control of more area as these talks are going on. It's difficult to know what's happening right on the ground. For example, Ethiopian government is saying we have resumed services to those occupied by our forces, but at the same time, the Tigray side is saying. People have been suffering under those controlled areas by both the Ethiopian forces and the airtime forces. And there was a report by AP yesterday, that, last week, in fact, that says atrocities have been committed by both forces in the occupied towns like Shire, Aksum, and, and Adwa. So it's difficult to tell what's happening on the ground, but it, the, the fighting has been continued since day one of the resumption of hostilities. Right. Is there a new end date for the talks that's been announced? Not yet. Only uh, la- last time uh, the African commissioner uh, Musa Fakir had said through his spokesperson that the, the talk might continue for, but he didn't put any definite date. And Ned Price also stated yesterday that it's a good sign that they are still talking. 
So you can't tell the deadline, but it still, uh, the conversation is still going on. But still the media blackout, more or less, and we've, we've heard very, very little. We have nothing from the, either from the representative in the, in, the, in the place or the military so far. Nothing is being said before, officially. Okay, well, that's Abraham Zare, team leader for VOA's Horn of Africa service, here in the studio with me. Thanks a lot, Abraham. Thank you, Carol. Cameroon says Equatorial Guinea has deported several hundred Cameroonians, some of whom say they were fleeing terrorist and rebel attacks at home. The government of Equatorial Guinea says the deportees were economic migrants and is planning to deport 7,000 Cameroonians in all by the end of the year. Moki Edwin Kinzeka reports from the town of Campo on Cameroon's border with Equatorial Guinea. Scores of Cameroonians applauded Monday while welcoming back at least 200 of their citizens who were deported. But the well-wishers are not happy with Equatorial Guinea's actions. Civilians shouted that by deporting Cameroonians, the oil-rich country is being indifferent to people who have rendered services as mechanics, electricians, bricklayers, miners, and other types of workers. Ngenang Rigobert, one of the deported Cameroonians, says he lost his teaching job in Equatorial Guinea. Genang says he, like many Cameroonians in Equatorial Guinea, are victims of what he calls the Cameroon government's lack of interest in the plight of its citizens outside the country. He says Cameroon should have negotiated for Equatorial Guinea to give Cameroonians more time to acquire residence and work permits. Ngenang said several dozen of the deported Cameroonians fled their country in part because of its ongoing separatist crisis. Others left because of Boko Haram terrorism in the north. Some deportees said they were tortured and their property looted in Equatorial Guinea. Others said they spent several nights in detention centers and were freed after agreeing to return to Cameroon unconditionally. Nuhu Bello, the most senior Cameroon government official in Ocean, the administrative unit where Campo is located, says President Paul Bia asked him to receive the deported civilians and make sure they travel to their towns and villages in peace. Bello says Cameroonians who have arrived in Campo since Friday have confirmed to government officials that they were in the neighboring states illegally. He says some of the deportees told officials their visas had expired, while others acknowledged lacking travel documents when they went to Equatorial Guinea. Bello called on Cameroonians staying in Equatorial Guinea illegally to return home or risk being locked up. Earlier in October, the government of Equatorial Guinea said it would embark on a mass deportation of people living illegally in its territory. Officials said insecurity has mounted due to an influx of about 30,000 economic migrants within the past three years. Equatorial Guinea accused job-seeking youths 
especially from Cameroon and Nigeria, of harassment, theft, and armed banditry. Esomba Inosang is an economic analyst at the National University of Equatorial Guinea. He says in January 2020, the country signaled that it did not want illegal economic migrants in its territory and laid the foundation stone for the construction of a border wall with Cameroon. Esomba says in June 2020, Equatorial Guinea agreed to pause the construction of the controversial wall after Cameroon, Nigeria, Chad and the Central African Republic agreed to voluntarily repatriate their citizens living in Equatorial Guinea illegally. He says people who are being deported should not ask the government of Equatorial Guinea for compensation for goods they acquired when their stay was illegal. Equatorial Guinea is a tiny Central African nation of around 1.5 million people. The International Monetary Fund reports that the nation took in approximately $45 billion in oil revenues between 2000 and 2013, catapulting it from one of the world's poorest countries to the one with the highest per capita income on the African continent. Moki Edwin Kinzuka for VOA News, Campo, Southern Cameroon. The United States Treasury has imposed sanctions on armed suppliers for Islamic State Somalia and the Al-Shabaab rebels today. The announcement comes two days after Al-Shabaab claimed responsibility for bombings that killed at least 100 in Mogadishu. The Treasury Department says it blacklisted eight individuals and one company involved in the multi-million dollar arms network between Iran, Yemen and the Horn of Africa. The sanctions freeze any blacklisted person's assets under U.S. jurisdiction. They also ban U.S. individuals and businesses, including international financial groups with U.S. operations, from doing business with them. You're listening to Africa News Tonight. I'm Carol Van Dam in Washington. For more information on these and other stories from the continent, please go to voaafrica.com. There you will find all your favorite VOA radio and television programs and a whole lot more. For world news, check out voanews.com. Equatorial Guinea has closed its borders with Cameroon and Gabon. According to the French news agency AFP, Vice President Teodoro Nguema Obiang Mang says the move will discourage the entry of groups aiming to destabilize the presidential elections campaign starting this week. Elections for president, parliament and local offices are all scheduled for November 20th. They were originally set for April 2023, but were moved up because of the war in Ukraine and the COVID-19 pandemic. No date was announced for reopening the borders, which are regularly shut down for security reasons. This despite an agreement on the free movement of people and goods in the region. Security has been tight since 2017, when authorities thwarted a coup attempt against long-serving leader Teodoro Obiang Nguema Mumbasago. With its lush forests, abundant waterfalls, and flamboyant birds, Guinea is the type of tropical paradise that draws tourists. But the West African country has few visitors and earns almost all its foreign revenue from mining, which can damage that environment. Now, some are working to change that, as Annika Hammerschlag reports from Kindia, Guinea. 
Ghanaian tour guide Mohamed Kamara balances precariously on a slippery rock as water gushes around him and the three foreigners he's leading on a hike. Below, the water slices through the cliff, making way for a spectacular view of the forest. He dreams of there one day being a boardwalk that spans the top of the waterfall so his clients don't have to slip and slide to reach the view. But Guinea's government is more focused on developing the country's mining industry than on creating ecotourism projects, he says. When people talk about mines, everyone talks about Guinea, he says. But when people talk about tourism, we don't talk about Guinea. And yet there's a great potential for tourism in this country that could employ more people than mines and bring in much more money, he says. Guinea is the world's second largest producer of bauxite, the primary ore used to produce aluminum. The country is also rich in iron ore deposits, as well as other minerals, such as gold and diamonds. Mining comprises about 25% of the country's gross domestic product, yet Guinea remains one of the poorest countries in the world, with more than half the population living below the poverty line. A 2018 report by Human Rights Watch found Guinea's mining industry had destroyed ancestral farmlands, polluted water sources, and blanketed villages and crops in dust. The environmental destruction of bauxite mining can be so severe, it led Malaysia to implement an export ban in 2016. François Kiefer is the operations manager for Belgian development agency Enabel in Guinea. In September, he helped launch an ecotourism project in Kindia, a forested region about 130 kilometers from Conakry, with the high potential to attract tourists. The project is focused on the construction of facilities that make sightseeing more accessible, such as boardwalks and trail signs, as well as the training of tour guides. Kiefer says he hopes the projects will provide an alternative to environmentally destructive practices beyond mining, such as slash-and-burn agriculture and charcoal production. He says human activity puts a lot of pressure on the environment, and they realize that it's the local people who are the first victims of these types of activities. The potential for tourism here is incredible, he says. Sites such as the breathtaking Mount Gangan and the pristine swimming holes beneath Khaleesi Falls are largely unknown outside of Guinea. From 2010 to 2017, the country saw an average of just 65,000 tourists per year, one-sixteenth the number who visited neighboring Senegal. Sekou Kamaha is a local development officer in Guinea's Linsen sub-prefecture. In Kindia, there are a lot of sites that are beloved by the locals, he says. But because those sites aren't developed, people are afraid to go. If we succeed in developing them, Kindia could become attractive, he adds. But for now, people are prioritizing the mines. He motions to the waterfalls plunging down the verdant face of Mount Gangan. That could be Guinea's crown jewel, he says. Annika Hammerschlag for VOA News, Kindia, Guinea. There are only about 1,000 mountain gorillas left in the wild, and they live in only three countries, the Democratic Republic of Congo, Rwanda, and Uganda. To encourage tourists and locals to help protect the endangered primates, Rwanda has turned to social media platform Instagram with a project they call Gorillagram. Sananu Tord reports from Kiniji, Rwanda. At the Volcanoes National Park, the Susa gorilla family lie playfully as they welcome their tourists of the day. They are the biggest of the 23 gorilla families in Rwanda and the most popular among guests. Experts say these visits help improve the social life of gorillas and promote conservation. To further help, Rwanda has created an Instagram-based platform called Gorillagram. 
It allows people to stay connected to their favorite gorilla families and monitor their daily activities. Through Gorillagram, tourists can also upload pictures and videos of gorilla families. Damien Cook is the CEO of eTourism Frontiers, a global program to develop online tourism in emerging markets around the world. And he says the Gorillagram platform sorts the contents for social media and provides real-time data for researchers. By that simple action of adding that tag to their photos, what they're doing is making that photo accessible to the national park itself and the monitoring and research teams that will then see those photos coming in from every tourist every day in real time, see where the gorillas are, what they're doing, how they're behaving, see their health, what sort of condition they're in, um, if any is expecting a baby, they see the silverbacks, the big males fighting, changes of gorillas between groups, all of that information coming into them every day directly from those photos. The International Union for the Conservation of Nature classifies all gorilla species as critically endangered. Over the past 15 years, Rwandan officials have named more than 350 baby gorillas in an annual ceremony known as the Kwitizina. This year, 20 new gorillas were named. During the annual event, people adopt baby gorillas and continue to monitor and support their growth. The Gorillagram is a new addition to the commitment to protecting and conserving the great apes. The effort helps through what experts call citizen science and Damien Cook says it will encourage sustainable tourism. More and more tourists are concerned about the climate, uh, they're concerned about ethics in travel, trying to travel responsibly. They really want to feel if they travel to a destination that they've done something to actually actively give back um, to the destination. And this, rather than something like making a donation or buying carbon miles, is something they can actually actively do during their gorilla experience that produces conservation and research material. At the social media launch, Animal advocates raise concerns that the Daily Post could threaten the security of the gorillas by providing information to poachers or others with criminal intent. But the chief warden of the Volcanoes National Park, Prosper Wingeli, says the gorillas are well protected. There's no, no risk, no, no threat. Uh, our groups are already protected. They are visited by truckers, by rangers uh, every day. So uh, this program is basically to strengthen uh, our capacity uh, to have pictures. Rwanda's development board says they plan to use the same technology and social media plan to help other threatened species such as rhinos. Sana Anutor for VOA News. Kininji, Rwanda. Greece has launched a search and rescue mission for dozens of migrants whose boat sank overnight after departing from Turkey for the European Union. According to the Associated Press, the Greek Coast Guard picked up nine survivors, all men, on an uninhabited rocky isle east of Athens. The men told AP that about 68 people were on board when the sailing boat sank after setting off from Izmir on the Turkish coast. The boat alerted authorities with a distress signal but did not provide its location. The Coast Guard says conditions in the area are rough with gale force winds. The AP says another search and rescue is underway off the coast of the eastern Aegean island of Samos for eight migrants reported missing after their inflatable dinghy overturned. So far, four people have been rescued. And that wraps it up this edition of Africa News Tonight. I'm Carol Van Dam in Washington. For all latest developments on the continent 24-7, visit our website at voaafrica.com. And on behalf of producer Mukbel Yabaro and engineer Andreas Rigas, thank you so much for tuning in and choosing the Voice of America.
This is Heather Maxwell, host of Music Time in Africa. Join me every Saturday and Sunday for an hour of awesome African music. Like to stay on top of new music trends? Breakout artists? New releases? Maybe you just love the classic styles and artists of the past. Or simply the sound and feel of a good beat. Whatever your pleasure, you can get it every week right here on Music Time in Africa. So join me on your local FM 